girls, Tanya, and today we have a special guest with us, Kathy Jones, uh, who is an advocate for foster youth and um, oh, just an all-around um, great woman and a former foster. Uh, please give it up for Miss Kathy Jones. Hi. Hi, Tanya. Yes, hi. Can you hear me? I can. Okay, hi. Uh, so so um, we called you today. Uh, well, I wanted you to tell us. Um, you, you also do volunteer work and do other stuff with foster youth as well. So that's first I want to say. Um, can you tell us a little bit more? Uh, yes, I, I am the former assistant director of Foster Leaders, right. which is more of a networking mm -hmm. uh, organization at this point. Mm -hmm. And uh, I am currently on the advisory council for the National Schoolhouse mm -hmm. of Theater Arts for Foster Youth that we're creating in uh, New York mm -hmm. City. Mm -hmm. And I am also um, a member and volunteer with Project Foster Care, mm. who helps um, foster kids whose parents have been TPR'd, uh, whose parents have been, um, their uh, legal rights have been terminated to be able to be adopted. Oh, so okay. I work with them. And... Um, then I do other advocacy work as well with NASCA, which is a National Association of Adult Survivors of Child Abuse, and, and other organizations I work with. Oh, okay. So thank you so much for being our, our guest tonight. Uh, we're talking about the state of foster care. Uh, and one of the things I guess I should probably do for our viewers is uh, just give a little bit of the stats that I gave before, um, just so they have an idea. Um, so according to this, I was reading uh, Child Trends and... There's different sites, adoptuskids.org. There's tons of sites out there, uh, but and there's many. The numbers can fluctuate, but basically, the number of children in foster care has increased in re recent years, um, climbing to 437,000 in 2016, um, from a low of 397,000 in 2012. Um, now, at one point, I know when I was in, there was like 500,000 kids in care. So I'm in my 50s, so you do the math. Um, the percentage of children staying in a home of a relative, which is called kinship care, has increased steadily over the last decade, decade reaching 32% of children in foster care. Non-Hispanic black children account for 23% of children in foster care, but about 14% of all children in the United States. Um, I, Kathy, I don't know if you find that one strange. I find that one odd. I think it's higher than that. I don't know why it would be said to be lower. All I know is yeah. that um, yeah. they are overrepresented exactly. in foster care. Yeah, they're probably like 50%, but I don't know why that number is low. Unless, I mean, I guess if you go across the United States, then that's why you're talking maybe that does make sense. If you're in like, you know, if you were in like Harlem or like South Bronx in Chicago, certain places, that's going to be a high number. But if you go to like Ohio, the Midwest, somewhere, um, Missouri, it's going to be mostly other children. So maybe right. that's why I'm, I'm, I'm guessing that's why. Or they're separating that out from um, other ethnicities, right. you know. Right, because there's a lot of Native Americans, too. Include yeah. all of those, yes. Yeah, that's true. Because when I went to Arizona, I was surprised at how many Native American um, children were in um, foster care. That was really shocking to me. Um, yes. And, and kind of sad. But um, so they're saying here, uh, the proportion of children staying in care for less than six months or more in five years, each dropped substantially from 2000 to 2016. 
Um, so I don't know um, how that's working either because a lot most of the people I know that were in foster care went in like five and stayed until they aged out. Um, but according to this, is saying they come in for a couple of years or something like that. I don't know how true that is. Well, I was in for a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, no, not really. I was I was in and out of group homes mm-hmm. uh, about every three to six months, mm-hmm. and then I went into an actual foster care family home mm-hmm. for about a year, and mm-hmm. then I was reunited with my mother. Oh, oh, that's a good one. So lucky. there are different, you know, there are scenarios for different situations. In my case, my mother was mentally ill, mm-hmm. and any time she would be hospitalized, that's when we would go into care. Oh, okay. So, yeah. So yeah. everybody's uh, different. My mom was, was on heroin, and uh, unfortunately mm-hmm. wasn't able to take, she a lot of a neglect going on. You leave three months, two months, no food. Yeah, and, and these days, opioid addictions... Yes. are a huge reason why our numbers are going up. Absolutely. I work um, in the field of addiction, and that's absolutely true. Yeah, absolutely. and uh, so, um, you know, we need to work on on helping those families as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Um, you know, uh, we think that it only is going to only affect them or those people, and now we're finding through, because of the power of addiction, uh, there are moms who live in nice suburban homes that are, you know, that may be, mm-hmm. you know, doing crystal meth, uh, you know, while the kids are at school and, you know, right. oxy- Oxycontin, fentanyl, all that stuff is real and it's really happening, people. It's not just, you cannot stereotype what this attic will look like because uh, there are days where I'm shocked of what the attic looked like. Uh, and, yeah. um, and, and the thing about addiction is, you will have to choose, and most people choose the drugs over anything. Family, love, I know, money. that's so sad. Yes, that's how I got into the field of addiction, because I thought it was very sad that my mother chose, uh, you know, heroin over her children because it was that strong, you know. So. You know, the, the interesting thing about that is, though, and I really want to bring this to the forefront, mm-hmm. is I think that in the new DSM manual mm-hmm. for, you know, the psychologists who do these uh determining what is and isn't an illness Mm -hmm. or a disease, those types of things. I think that now they have determined Mm -hmm. that this is a a disease. It is, absolutely. That they don't necessarily have control over. Mm -hmm. And so I think that if we approach it from that standpoint, because right now there's a lot of stigmatism Mm -hmm. uh, attached Mm -hmm. to those who are addicted to drugs or alcohol Mm -hmm. and I think that you know we again this is why we need to get in there and help these families and get them into programs Mm -hmm. that can help them with this disease you know and and like if anybody had cancer Mm -hmm. you would be you wouldn't be stigmatizing them you would be getting them help you know absolutely to the hospital. So I really think that that needs to be an issue that we really do try to change our mindsets about because I think that that can help the families tremendously in being able to keep their kids if we can get the programs to them and, and the necessary means that they need yes. to get the help that they need mm-hmm. in order to become better parents for their children. Well, the sad keep part them out of the foster care system. Yeah, well, the sad part of that is uh, New York State and the government is cutting um, you know, the insurance agencies are cutting money left and right. you got people that want to be there for the full 30 days, but they can't because their insurance says, sorry, I can only pay for four days. 
for seven days or eight days, and if you're on heroin or you know crack cocaine or crystal meth, well, you know, it's not going to work. From what I understand, you know, when the Family First Prevention mm -hmm. Services Act passed in February of 2018, mm -hmm. that is now to be a helpful program, hopefully, mm -hmm. for those uh, Title IV monies and, and, and Title IV BS. I, I don't know exactly all of the um, ins and outs of what's going to be used, but, but those I can tell you right now, it's not being used for what it's supposed to be. I can tell you right no, it's now. Not. It hasn't even really started yet. Well, you, you well I don't think... I don't think it's... It hasn't uh, really started. It hasn't been implemented it's yet. It's not going to be implemented. There's a lot of backlash against it. Mm -hmm. And even in California, they're kind of opposing things and making delays. Yeah, Trump but does the, not want it that. it was passed, and it will eventually, may, hopefully in a year or two, be put into action to where those monies can start helping those families get the, the services that they need. Well, I'm going to pray for them because I can tell you right now, uh, well, the powers that be, they don't, they've cutting money left and right. They don't want to help, help. they don't want to pay for But the nothing. money's already there. Oh, well, they're let's see what happens. They're, <laughs> they're already going to, they're just going to take the monies from that's being used in other areas, mm -hmm. say congregate care. Mm. Um, you know, in California here, Governor Brown signed for, to basically do away with congregate care. Mm. Um, and so there are, the monies already exist. You know, they've already been allocated to help foster care. Mm. And so they're just going to be re redirecting that money, from what I understand, mm. to help to, to help keep the kids out of foster care to begin with. And that means providing the services to the families that need the help. Mm. We'll see how that works out, honestly. I know. I, 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 I I'm on all, through all the ups. There's a lot of backlash. Yeah, I'm on all sides. Don't. So I, I see the real side. The real side is yeah, <laughs> good luck but with the that. law did pass. Yeah, I know the it passed. The law passed, and so the really people need to start getting on board mm. to at least give this a shot because this is at least a start oh, to try to get the kids to stay out of foster care to begin with. Well, let's hope because you think about it, these congregate care homes, mm -hmm. now, some of them are very good and some of them work very well, mm -hmm. but some of them don't, and they're just really making a lot of money. That's all it is. It's all the money game. That's all it comes all down to the money, and yep. that's why they're really fighting this. Now, I'm not saying every one of them does, but mm -hmm. an awful lot of them do. I mean, if you go look at the stats of what they're making, yep. you know, they make a lot of money off the Tell me what the, the CEO makes, and I'll tell you who's ripping off these uh, kids. There, uh, there was one CEO mm -hmm. of a, a, now this is a different, this is a program, mm -hmm. uh, a CEO of, of a, a uh, an agency mm -hmm. that was providing something like three different programs, and he was making over seven hundred thousand dollars a year oh, yeah. with a two hundred thousand dollar bonus each year and other kinds of perks. And to me, that's just and and he has failing programs, yeah. and I was just flabbergasted when I heard that. Mm -hmm. Flabbergasted. So, you know, there's a lot of people making money off of these kids. I mean, you figure one child going into foster care mm -hmm. and how much money, I mean, there are statistics on how much money for each child that goes into foster care. Mm -hmm. But you think that there's courts, there's judges, there's lawyers, attorneys. There are, you know, of course, the foster parents. You've got the, um, the CPS workers. 
you've got all kinds of people that are attached to that child. Yep. That are and they're all making, making a money. living yep. off of taking care of, you know, doing Which, things for foster care uh, kids. And are they doing, you know, take a look. Are they doing their jobs? Well, some are. Some aren't. Yeah. Um, you know, some make good decisions. Some make bad decisions. And, um, you know, I, I have to say it's not all foster parents because foster parents have a lot to deal with, especially communication mm-hmm. from their CPS workers and or their CPS workers not being able to get authorization from supervisors, so on and so forth, goes up the chain, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's really should not be that difficult, and it is Yeah, well, I, until I see those salaries coming down, I don't believe nobody's really there except for anything for the money. And, and what's sad is that they raise like, you know, $10 million for one night at a, uh, you know, I don't know, maybe make whatever kind of fundraiser yeah. they do. And out of that $10 million, the kids might see 100000 of it. That's the same yeah, I, I want to generalize everything because I think that there are a lot of people in here who are really doing good work yeah, for the foster care system. But then, you know, you have both two sides to every story. Mm-hmm. So. You know, I don't want to harp on one side or the other, but all I know is we need to do something to keep the kids out of foster care to begin with. Right. And my hope is that, that this Family First Prevention Services Act is a start. I'm not saying it's going to be the end-all, be-all. I don't know if it's going to work. It hasn't even had a chance to be implemented yet. Mm. So I'm just hoping that once they get an idea of how this could work or maybe they could tweak the plan or whatever, mm. we can start getting services to these families and quit stigmatizing the issues surrounding. Of course, now again, I want to make very clear that this does not apply to kids who are being abused. Exactly. I was about to say that. Severely neglected in their homes. Yes, or sexually abused. Those need to be taken out immediately. Immediately and not never returned in my opinion. Yep. You can never, to me, never returning. I would never return a child who was sexually abused by a parent ever. Oh, right. It never happened. In in my case, you know, I was being abused at home, but nobody knew that. Yep, mine too. my father, I did not go into care because of abuse, because I never told a soul. Right. Uh, So, because my father threatened me. Right, So, I never told a soul until after we moved to California. Wow. And I felt far enough and safe enough away from him. So, Mm. the reason I went into care was because of my mother's mental illness. Mm. Now, had they had daycare for us, mm-hmm. uh, we might not have had to have gone into care because, you know, she would be in maybe three months, uh, you know, and then come back out or mm. something. Mm. So it was every three to six months whenever she got sick is when we went into our group home. And then when mm. she got, the reason she got sick the last time was when we ended up in an actual foster care home mm was because I, I told, I admitted to her about my abuse, and she felt really guilty that she didn't protect me. Yeah. And, of course, she was being abused herself. Yeah. So that made her feel guilty and caused her to have another nervous breakdown. So, yeah. of course, then I went into, into care feeling guilty, right. you know, yeah, uh, just, because yeah. I, had, uh, <laughs> I had caused her nervous breakdown, yeah. and uh, it was a real difficult situation but if we had had care if we had had um services provided to her Mm. that could have dealt with the situation or dealt with you know our our daycare or whatever 
we might not have had to have gone into care at all. Mm. Now, did you age out of the foster care system? No. Okay. I, I went in, well, I, I remember going in, I don't have many memories prior to seven, mm-hmm. but I remember being in care from seven to age 13, in and out, in and out, mm. except for that last year that we spent in a national home. Mm. Yes, yeah, that's all. So yeah. 13, 13 is the last, uh, last time I was in care, and I was reunited with my mother, and I was able to make it all through high school mm. on my own. Mm. Um, and she did pretty well because they finally got her properly diagnosed. She's been misdiagnosed for over 20 years. Wow. With, they finally got her on the right treatment plan, so it ended up working out no, good for you. her. She started doing much better. Yeah, yeah. No, that's good. I, I, um, I was in care of, uh, starting at five years old, uh, moved around the different places in the city, and then got transferred to Westchester, lived in a, well, a group home orphanage, I call it, because it was like 500 kids. Uh, and then got transferred to a foster home, almost got sexually abused, so we went out of there real quick. That didn't last more than six months. And then we finally went, to, well, we went back to the uh, orphanage place, uh, which was actually St. Christopher's. And then we went finally to a foster home in Bedford. And well, you know, you read, that brings up a very important point. I'm, I'm reading this article mm-hmm. called um, Rethinking Foster Care, mm-hmm. and it's called Can We Change Our Foster Care System, mm-hmm. written by Kathy Krebs yes. on January 14, 2019. Mm-hmm. And I want to share this with our recording. I'll put it in under the comments section or whatever so people can read this article. Mm-hmm. But it says recently a new, um, basically they were talking about how uh, recently, a new class action lawsuit was filed in Kansas mm-hmm. that alleged that foster children in Kansas are moved so often, mm-hmm. in one case, more than 130 placements, mm-hmm. okay, yeah. that um, mm-hmm. it technically, it's effectively, it renders children homeless, quote-unquote homeless, while in state custody. Yeah, custody. that's why they can't finish school and get to college, because they can't exactly. get moved so many and times. And so, indeed, U.S. District Court Janet. Uh, Judge Janice Graham Jack recently ruled that children in foster care in the state of Texas, um, quote, almost uniformly leave the state custody more damaged than when they entered, unquote. Mm-hmm. That's any kid. It yeah. is. Yeah. I mean, it is. I I mean you know, you, rich, you you know that there, there's trauma just from the fact you're removed from your loved ones. You're mm-hmm. removed from your the only home you've ever known. Mm-hmm. And that right there is a traumatic experience. That's the first trauma. Mm-hmm. We need to deal with that trauma. Yep. And then the other thing we need to do is immediately try to find kinship care. Mm-hmm. And if there's interstate compact laws, we need to be able to get those kids to kinship care, even crossing state lines within a 30-day period, according to this article, which mm-hmm. makes sense. Mm-hmm. Those kids need to be with people who love and care for them, and then we need to provide them services and maybe even uh, pay for what they're doing to help care for these kids because they're going to need money for food Mm -hmm. that they weren't normally use, you know, didn't normally have. A lot of these kin may not have the finances to take care of the kids unless they're reimbursed for food and and clothes and that type of thing. But they're willing, Mm -hmm. they're very willing to take on their kin. They just financially have a hardship with it. Mm. So we need to help them keep those kids. Yeah, that's a big thing. That uh, kindred care has become more popular, but it's still not uh, where it needs to be. And I know when I went into foster care, um, 
quite a few of my aunts and uncles uh, wanted to take me, but uh, my mom insisted not. But they were they were there around, uh, so it was devastating mm-hmm. to me that no one had no pictures of me when I was younger. Nobody knew my name when I was young. I mean, nope, I was a mess. It was a purified mess. And guess yeah. what? It's still happening today. So um, I wanted yeah. to give some stats um, on what's going on right now with aging out. You got uh, what twenty three thousand at least kids a year in the U.S. foster care system age out. Uh, 20% will become homeless, 60% will graduate, under 60% will graduate from high school, 71% of young women will be pregnant by 21, 25% will be involved in the justice system within two years of leaving foster care, under 3% will earn a college degree, 50% are unemployed by the age of 21, 60% of sex, uh, sex traffic youth were from the foster care system, and that's a source from the FBI raids in 2013. So it's costing them $6.9 billion as a lifetime cost of the cohort, of the cohort that ages out of each, uh, each year. That's a lot of money. So just imagine if they reported that number, I'd triple it. <clears throat> you know, it's you a know, big, big we industry. You would use that money uh-huh. to provide services to help to keep these kids with the families. We wouldn't be having this issue. Right, exactly. And unfortunately, you know, there is money. Mm-hmm. There is money being put into the system, mm-hmm. but it's not being managed well, as mm-hmm. far as I'm concerned. Nope, not at all. It isn't. Those high salaries, mm-hmm. not not helpful no. to these kids. Kids are really the ones that aren't seeing the money. Yep. It's everybody else surrounding those kids that are seeing the money. Yes, exactly. And and so even if they do a fundraiser, when I do my fundraiser, our kids get like 99.9% of the money if I have to pay the person that did That's the thing. Great. Maybe, maybe. See, sometimes my board member will put in their money, and that way we'll already have that. So the kids are getting... I mean, when I tell you like 99.9% of the money, and that's only what we have. A, we have a, a, a website, as you can see, that's not the most glamorous because we were like, we're not spending a lot of money on that. Um, nobody right. gets a salary at all. Um, yeah, nobody gets paid. We're all volunteers. And um, if, yeah. so if we have a mentor lunch, you know, when we meet up the kids to find out what they're doing, what's going on, where they're going, where they're headed, we might buy them a pizza or take them to lunch or take, or take them to dinner, depending on how long, how far away, if they're home from college, something like that. Depending, we might do something nice like that. But that's, that's our expense. It's usually on them for something. Gift cards for yeah. the gift boxes. You know what I'm saying? But that's because... That's the way I, it should be. Yeah, it I don't think that uh, the law should be that if you have a nonprofit that at least 50% should go toward the cause that you're talking about. And a lot of places are only giving 20%, 10%. I mean, right. it's even numbers, high, low, low numbers for big places that I don't want to say their names, uh, but I saw reports um, and uh, stats on big, big, big charities who I, I was shocked to find out what that's yeah, all they're going to get. Yeah, I've seen those too. Yeah, it's yeah. horrible. It's horrible. Just yeah, yeah. That, but, but look, it explains why people are still homeless and why um, the foster care system still messed up. Because all they do yeah. is shift the money around to the CEOs, and um, they don't pay you know good money to the people that are actually working with the kids at all. And they definitely don't, the kids get like a $14 a week allowance and then a $100 a month stipend. That's what, that's from the, at least it was like that in the 60s, 70s when I was in there. From what I hear, it ain't changed much. I didn't even get that. Yeah. From what I hear, well, that's New York. New York is good about their foster kids. I give New York credit. If you, if you know how to work the system and you're a foster youth and you um, having problems with your worker and you know, the group home ain't right, somebody's trying to be shysty, you can report anybody right now. If you know how to do it, you know how to get to the commissioner the deaf commissioner, and you know how to get to the right people, trust me, you, and you can Google anybody's name. So if somebody... See, if I didn't even know if I had rights. 
Oh know? no, exactly. Is it, well now I I yeah, teach all the kids. I was back in the in the in the late. 60s, mm-hmm. well, 59 and 70. Mm-hmm. I, so I, I too, you know, I when I got back into advocating mm-hmm. over five years ago, I was surprised, absolutely surprised, that so much stuff has not changed. Nope, not since at all. They've been in care. Read the Wilder stories uh, by the New York Times writer uh, about a case, the Wilder case. Uh, that's from the, the original foster care, how it was set up by the Catholic, Catholic agencies and all that stuff, and then it changed at some point, and then um, a lot of the other organizations took over. So it's it's amazing. I mean, now you got Louise Wise Services, Spence Chapin, they're adopting off kids, and you know, it, I think in the under, you know, it's not good circumstances. Some of the stuff, some of it's really horrible. These kids are finding out things that they probably never suspected, especially on Louise Wise Services. They were in a video that's that's out. I don't know if it's out now. It was out. A, a young um, Asian woman did this great documentary uh about twinning twinning in fact i forgot the name of it uh, it was on P- they did um the, talked about it on pbs but um it was amazing how they were taking triplets and twins splitting them up like 10 blocks from each other not telling oh, not yeah not telling yeah. anyone that they're triplets duh like yeah. do you think it might run into my my brother and marry him like and really? they were adopted out yeah, yeah. adopted out Remember one that? guy committed suicide because he said all his yeah. life he knew something was wrong something was missing he finds out he has triplets he meets them he he was so overwhelmed that he said i just you know all his life he was suffering for what and so he actually committed suicide poor guy and then the two brothers are still around but they all look exactly alike and they found each other by accident so so the guy looked at the footage come to find out these two doctors um, were uh, experimenting, seeing what happens if I take three triplets or twins or siblings that are close and split them all up in a rich home, a poor home, you know, and see how they turn out without knowing about the other. Right. And so they right. were experimenting like Hitler. They were just like yes, Hitler. And they, and they did other experiments too. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, I think they experimented on me. Psychotropic drugs. Yes. And stuff. And they I tried to get my, they tried to get us on. And yep. I was so angry that they, they use the word uh, expendable, yeah. quote unquote, expendable for foster kids. Oh, yeah. When they were these, these we, drug tests. Guinea pigs. These guinea pigs. We were guinea pigs, literally. I remember they used to come to our house with those little testing cards and make us read, what is this? What's that? What do you do? How do you feel about this? How do you feel? What do you care? Ask me about my sister and my siblings and. You know, oh, I know. Do you miss them? No. You think? I mean, I, I, we came out the same womb. You think I miss them? You know? Right. So, so we're finding out those kids have been traumatized so badly that now they're on drugs. You know, they're doing things they're not supposed to be doing. There's a lot of stuff going on. So I, I'm amazed that people yeah. like us actually survived and kept our sanity. Well, you know? thankfully, yeah. thanks to a lot of advocates we have now the new normalcy law mm-hmm. where the the foster kids now can do extracurricular activities they mm-hmm. can go spend the night with friends in my day that wasn't allowed oh, at no, all definitely not and i still wouldn't encourage no. that too much because you got people yeah. especially so pedophiles you know and then and then there's also you know there, there's there are a few new things that that have come out thankfully because of the advocates and most of the uh, many of those advocates our former fosters themselves, mm-hmm. who are now getting into the political arena, mm-hmm. arena mm-hmm. trying to make foster care reform right. for the kids that are in care now and kids coming up in care. Yes. So thankfully, we have really some really good advocates. Right, like Se- Sexto Cancel, what's his name? Sexto Cancel? Oh, Sexto Cancel, yeah. yes. Yeah. He's really good. Yeah. 
Yeah. You know, there's a ton of them. There's a ton. Lisa yep. Dixon. Oh, yeah. Sorrel. Uh, yep. I know a few. A whole su- bunch. Su- a few. Uh, who are doing excellent work. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So what are some of the other suggestions that you think we can come up with to help uh, people um, in foster care? Just a couple of suggestions. Um, well, one thing I to help the kids in foster care right now mm-hmm. There are some, I am absolutely upset that that kids are still coming into care with garbage bags or being moved with garbage bags. And Mm. so there are are a lot of different organizations that are um, now helping and and doing, you know, cases for kids, suitcases for these kids. But I don't know. I think a law needs to be made or something that these kids need to be treated with dignity because I mean when you're and I moved with a garbage bag myself and you feel like garbage no child should feel like garbage mm. you know yeah, and, and you have meager belongings to begin with when you first come into care at least I did yes. and many that I know did and mm-hmm. do mm-hmm. and I just think that uh, you know when they hit that foster care agency hopefully some organization has provided that agency with these these cases, these duffel bags, these yes. whatever, uh, anything that gives more dignity to these kids to go placement, because you know they're going to go placement to placement. Yes. They need to have something with dignity. So that's one thing I think mm-hmm. needs to be done. Okay. Just a couple uh, more because we only have a few minutes left, but go ahead. Mm-hmm. Okay. And the, the other thing, now this one's more for, for, for current and former foster kids. There needs to be a uniform law where every kid that ages out of foster care and every kid that's ever been in foster care mm-hmm. is given their rec- their records. Yes, that's, a, that's a big one. I would love that because one. It is, there's so many that yep. I know mm-hmm. cannot get access to their records. They can't figure out the medical history, yep. especially even ones that have been adopted and or rehomed, mm-hmm. that type of thing. Those records are sealed if, they're, if they've been adopted. There needs to be some way that at age 18, mm-hmm. or even if they're adopted or something, they're given their records, mm-hmm. their, or their, their adoptive parents are given their records to give to them when they turn 18 or whatever, so that they have the information they need mm-hmm. to take care of their medical issues, to take care of their emotional issues surrounding what they've been through. That needs to be law. I, yes. I think that needs to be law for every state. Absolutely. Absolutely, and uh, one of the things I think, siblings, if you have a sibling and you're in foster care together and you're being split up, keep keep a journal and that you can uh, have the workers swap the journal for maybe every week or every month, I don't know what's convenient, um, where you swap it back and forth so that you can know what's going on in the other one's life. Just uh, keep well, that's your, a good idea. Yeah. I think now, Liz, uh, you know, there's a law or, or there's a law pending. I mm-hmm. think there's a law mm-hmm. that siblings are to be put together if at all possible. Yes, like, I'm so happy yeah. about it. My friend Liz Welch, she wrote a book, um, uh, The Kids Are All Right, and not the same as the movie, um, but uh, it was a great book because all four of her siblings wrote a book about when their mom, the, uh, their dad died in a car accident and mom suddenly died right after him. They literally became orphans. Uh, and I knew them. Wow. Went to school, and the mother was a famous soap star. Uh, and and uh, thank God, she said that we had a trust fund, or we would have ended up in foster care. But everybody wanted them because there was money involved, so that helped. Uh, but they got split up, and that was uh, devastating. Wow. Yeah. So she wow. she came to speak for us one year for Foster Care United Incorporated. She came to speak, and it was a powerful man, powerful. She, wow. She's she's the one that g- gave a great idea 
of uh, the journal. She does journaling with uh, New York Fondling and uh, teaches kids to, to write and keep in touch. Uh, so I thought that was brilliant because um, I lost touch with my sister. We're together now, but we, we missed all those years. We missed all those bonding years, uh, and it wasn't necessary. And in my records, it says that that she was motherly. Well, she was my mother since she was five. So what are you saying? Yeah, that was that's true. She was motherly, but she had to be. So what? Now you're going to penalize her for that? So. That's another right. thing they got to think about when they confiscate kids. Yes, the, the older sibling's going to be a little bit mature, not really into nonsense, and definitely into when they're abusing their sibling. So if that's a problem, right. you need to address it yourself because it ain't their problem. You know, they did exactly. what they had to do to make sure everybody survived. My sister, uh, we're alive because my sister knew that kids are not supposed to starve. If she didn't, we would have starved to death, literally. Right. And I mean literally, but she was clever. She Lucky figured out how to steal a little thing of butter, a loaf of bread, whatever she needed for us, she would make it happen. And and that's a lot to put on a kid, you know. So sure. Um, sure. sadly, we got separated. I had that responsibility myself. Yes. So, so I, I so understand you know. that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's another thing. But May 30th at the Mount Kisco Library uh, at 5 to 7 p.m., we're going to be doing a uh, special um, a special thing on um it's for, uh, what, what, what do we say the title was? Um, um, we have a special attorney, adoption attorney, Lisa Peck Goldberg, coming. Uh, she's going to be talking about the ABCs of foster adoption. Um, so that's going to be interesting uh, because, uh, you know, our goal is to hopefully help more kids who are aging out get adopted um, and older kids. I have a friend that's actually interested, so this, it should be good. May 30th at the Mount Kisco Library. It's a free event. It's for National Foster Care Awareness Month. Um, and uh, we're going to also have solutions on what you can do as a community to help aging out foster youth and foster youth. Um, Kathy, anything Great. else you want to say before we go? Uh, we appreciate I just, you. If you can go and check out my author page if they yes. would like on yes. Facebook. What, yes, what is um, that? The, my, the name of my book is Foster Cat, Foster Kid, God Says You Don't Have to Eat Dirt Anymore. Mm -hmm. And my author page is www.facebook.com forward slash author Katherine with a K, K-H-E-R-I-N-E, Jones. Okay, and I always shorten it, so. Okay, I have it. Volunteer at Foster Project of American College. I have that here. Yes. So if you want to uh, check out her book, please do. And um, we thank you so much for um, being with us. And, um, yeah, um, we'll come back and have another conversation because it's never ending with the foster care, is it? Yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much for inviting me on your show. I appreciate it very much. No, we appreciate it. Any last words before we, we go? No, just thank you for what you accept. <laughs> thank you for what you're doing. Thank you. I really appreciate all the hard work you put in for the kids. No, thank you. And you it's too. all about the kids. We yeah. need to focus on the kids. Yes. That's Absolutely. what it's all about. Absolutely. And maybe, uh, you know, one day we're going to get together. But I appreciate you coming on I the hope show. So. Yeah, we will. One day. I don't know how. We'll figure it out. But uh, we, we appreciate you coming on the show. And until next time, we will see you guys next week. Give me time, I know.